Thank you, Cadi. Sharing your gift with us. I ask if you open your bulletin this morning and take the folded sheet of white paper and many of the verses we'll be using this morning you can, you can find there. And you can also take your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 5. You can put your finger there or mark that somehow. We'll get to that in a few moments. Before we get into the teaching this morning, I want to read to you a, a short letter from Pastor Nick, Pastor Nick Taylor, your new senior pastor. He was, had planned to be here this morning, but just because of circumstances, was not able, able to be, but he sent a letter that he would wanted to be read to you. So, Greetings, Crosspoint family. May God's grace richly bless your fellowship today and his mercy and treat each of you to worship him. Our prayers are with you this morning as we long to be among you worshiping our Lord together. Thank you for your prayers and thoughts over the past couple of weeks while we searched for a home. God has graciously answered all our our prayers and provided a house for our family. For this we say, praise the Lord, and we celebrate His goodness and the careful attention He gives to each of His children. God's hand has been evident in the midst of each step in this journey. We have experienced and continue to learn of God's faithfulness through any and every situation we encounter. We are excited to say, if all things proceed as expected, our family will arrive in Baton Rouge at our new house on Thursday. We can't wait to see all of you. In Christ, Nick, Tara, Isaac, Jesse, Aaron, and Lily. So, I know Nick longs to to be with us and to begin shepherding here at Crosspoint. If you would like to be involved in some way with just helping them as they arrive, we're giving home groups just different things that they can do to minister to them since they'll be arriving Wednesday, Thursday-ish. And so if you would like to do that, then you can find the home groups listing there in your bulletin and you can contact one of those home groups to, to help out in some way if you're not already involved in one of those. So this morning as we uh, get into the, the main teaching, we're looking at how to be successful in God's world, a continuing uh, study of the wisdom literature of the, the scriptures. And we're looking at Working and resting to the glory of God. Working and resting to the glory of God. Much of our our time in studying this wisdom literature has been in Proverbs. If you've been here, you you know that. Uh, One week we spent in Job, and then this week we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. And the reason for this is the the three main wisdom books in in the Bible are Job, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. They all fun, fall under that genre of wisdom literature. And then there are other books like Song of Solomon that have elements of wisdom literature. We are not going to get into Song of Solomon much during this study. I know Nick would love me to set him up in that way, but I'm not going to. But this morning we're going to look mainly at the book of Ecclesiastes. But in order to, to really set the stage for this topic of, of work and rest, we really need to go all the way back to the beginning of creation. To the beginning of creation. So we're going to look first at Genesis. You'll see the verses we'll look at in, in your uh, notes that you have in your bulletin. Before we hit those, let me just say, when I say work, I mean any type of labor. When we talk about work the entire time this morning, any type of labor. Many here work taking care of the home. That's work. That's a full-time job and more. Those of you who do that, you know that. Uh, Students, you work right now by going to school, by doing homework. You work. And this is preparation for other work that hopefully you'll do later in life. 
And so when I say work, it applies to each and every one of us. It applies to the, applies to the everyday, the menial task, and even the, the big task that we are responsible for. Work entails all of these things. So don't exclude yourself in any way. Let's look at these passages in, in Genesis first. First, we want to see that work, rest, and God's good creation. And the main point here is that work and rest, this balance and a pattern of work and rest in life, are, it's not a result of the fall. It's not because we're weak people and because we've, we've sinned that God is punishing us by putting us in dead-end jobs and jobs that we don't enjoy, low-paying jobs and taking care of children. That's not a result of the fall. In fact, God's first command was that people would work. Look at Genesis, beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This subduing, and this having dominion over things, this is labor. We'll see it more specifically later on when God tells Adam to take care of the garden. But the first implication of this is just that we were made to work. Work is not a punishment. In fact, it's interesting, the statistics are a little bit weird, but they've done studies, lots of studies, if you Google this or anything else and listen to some radio things, that it's possible that retiring can actually, it's shown to possibly cause premature death. And and I don't mean people who retire so that they can serve in other ways and serve the church and then do different things, but I mean people who retire and just to get out of work. To not have to do anything anymore. Maybe it's that a person feels they no longer have purpose. You see, God's called us to work, to use our hands, to do things. And practically every profession under the sun falls under this command to subdue, to care for the earth, to bring it under control. The longer we're on the earth, the more professions we find are really necessary to complete the task. It requires People who farm. Adam cared for the garden. It requires people who would care for other people. Doctors, nurses. It requires people who can organize things well. Administrators. It requires people who look for justice and seek to take up for people when justice is not being done. This is lawyers. It requires engineers. People who build things and who are good at that. It requires educators to train other people. Librarians. Finance experts, architects, builders, road workers who help manage things. Politicians, city planners, chefs. Thank God for people who cook good food, right? People to drive garbage trucks. Friends, unless you're doing something that's in moral conflict with the Scriptures, which there are things that might be that way, then most of you through your work are contributing to God's design for humanity that we care for His creation. And that we put it in order. Some of us really need to change the way we think about our job. To change the way we think about caring for our home. It's not that you only honor God when you're doing something like a quiet time or when you're coming to church. Friends, if you choose to do all things to the glory of God, then your job becomes a place where worship takes place. 
Do you know, whatever job it is that you do, that's part of a calling. That is what God has ordained you to do. Friends, work is not a result of the fall. You don't need to look on it negatively. It is something God has called each and every one of us to do, to work in some way. And it's not only work, it's rest. Rest isn't a result of the fall. It's part of God's good creation. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Don't you see? Sunday afternoon naps come straight from the Lord. And this is a perfect day for it. It doesn't matter who you are. How ADHD you are, whatever it may be, you need rest. There's no excuse. It's not a suggestion. It's an instruction. It's a command. It's an example, a pattern set by God from the beginning of creation that you would work and that you would rest. This is how we're created to function best. If you do too much of one or too little of one, either, either side, whichever way you might tend to an extreme, you become a less healthy person, and it will have physical, emotional, and spiritual effects. It will affect you in every way. And then people don't want to be around you. Lord knows, when I don't get enough sleep, I'm not in tune spiritually. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of us. But the same is true when we don't work enough. We don't honor God. So work and rest in the beginning of creation before the fall, it's all from God. And so this sets the stage for the way that the rest of the Bible will look at these things. Now, there is something that happens that makes work a little bit more difficult. Actually, a lot more difficult. And that's the fall. Genesis three seventeen through 19. It's the second half of verse 17. It's after sin enters... Adam and Eve have both taken a bite of the fruit of which God commanded, don't. And then God says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, it's the stress that comes about because of work. It's the anxiety that we feel at work. Maybe the the frustration sometimes, the endless problems, stalled productivity. These aren't because work is bad. It's because the world has fallen. It's because sin entered. So, work and rest are good. But sin has caused bad effects on those things. But there, there are other implications from Genesis. We, we don't work to get rich. That's not what's there in creation. That's not why God created work to get, so we could get rich. We work to honor God, to take care of his creation, and to provide for ourselves and our family. These are the roots, friends, from which the rest of the Bible considers these topics of work and rest. So, before we jump into Ecclesiastes, though, just so you... No, work is in our DNA, okay, everyone? It's what we're supposed to do. And this is why when we get to wisdom literature, even Proverbs, it speaks so negatively about lazy people. Proverbs 19.24, the sluggard plunges his hand into the dish and he won't even bring it back to his mouth. 
It's, it's sarcastic, but how many times have you been sitting on the couch watching something and you say, I'm really hungry, but I don't want to get up and miss this on the TV. And there's something there in the pantry. Or, God forbid, you, you're sitting there and you don't want to miss something. You say, I need to go to the restroom, but I just don't want to get up. We know we've heard those things. You see, the sluggard, it's not that the sluggard doesn't have opportunity, it's that the sluggard has a lack of motivation and a lack of activity. They just won't do anything, no matter how much you push them. Proverbs 20, verse 4, The sluggard will not plow during the planting season, so at harvest time he looks for the crop but has nothing. So the lazy person will not reap anything. He reaps what he sows, which he's sowing nothing, so he reaps nothing. And the Bible looks negatively on this. You know, this, we need to know that the wisdom literature is very compassionate to, towards the poor. Very compassionate. So much that it, it, it tells the people to share with the poor. It tells God's people to share. But it doesn't look kindly on lazy people. Because we were made to work. And one other aspect of this. Sometimes it's not laziness people struggle with as much as doing exactly what needs to be done. Listen to Proverbs 12:11. The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies, and this also means worthless pursuits, it says they lack sense. Many people might be waiting for some perfect opportunity to come along instead of just working and doing what needs to be done. And especially in American culture, we've grown up being told we can do whatever we want, right? Whatever we put our mind to, we can do it. That's not true. <laughs> no matter how much I want to, I, friends, I couldn't be an astrophysicist. I, I don't have it. I can't do it. God hasn't given me that. I, I couldn't be an NBA player. I I just couldn't, no matter how much I want to. I probably couldn't be a model or tons of other things. Even God might want us to be a bit more sober in our expectations when it comes to work. He just he calls us to work, to put our hand to it. So we should see this pattern of work and rest as necessary for Christians and laziness as a form of disobedience to God. Now, now let's jump into Ecclesiastes. We, we have the, the stage set so that we can understand what the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us and giving us wisdom regarding work. Please look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 20. Verses 12 through 20. And what we want to see in these verses... What I believe the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us is, is the gift that God gives through work, through labor. Beginning in, in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 5, he says, Sweet is sleep, to the, the sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? 
Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of life that God has given him. For this is his lot, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied. With joy in his heart. With joy in his heart. Three main gifts that I want us to see that God gives to people in their work. Three gifts. The first is sweet sleep. This is verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. This person's sleep is sweet because he's expended his energy. But then he's also, in the Bible when it says this person's able to sleep well, their conscience is clear. So this person has worked hard, expended his energy, but then also the type of work the person has done is honest to the point that they can sleep well at night because their conscience is clear. Some of you may be saying, well, I I do that, but I don't sleep as well as I used to. Well, many times the wisdom literature is just trying to speak in generalities that people who work hard are able to sleep well and then they've worked honestly. But look at the the rich person. The, The full stomach of the rich won't let him sleep. This guy has eaten so much that he probably has indigestion at night and he just lays there and can't sleep. And then also, he's rich, and as it says, it talks about his money. He He's not able to sleep probably because he's obsessed about what's happening with his money. The laborer is just content. He's content with his lot in life. And so he's able to sleep well. Through hard work, God is able to give us good sleep. It's a gift of God. But then, there's more to it than that. And this is B, and some of you might be a little bit offended by this, and so let me, please, don't take it to an extreme. But look at verse 18. It says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given for for him. This is his lot. The gift of work, uh, that comes through work, is good food, good drink, and just good times in life. Now, this might sound like a recent country western song or something like that, a club song, but it's not hedonism. It's not selfish, indulgent pleasure-seeking. That's not what it is. It's balanced even by the way the author concludes the book. So read the book of Ecclesiastes all the way through if you want to get a grasp of what he's saying. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, just listen to these verses. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So it's not that the laborer is just to be indulgent and seek himself, but he should enjoy the gifts that God has given. He should enjoy good food. He should enjoy the company of good people. Sometimes God's people tend to think that to be different from the world, we have to go to some opposite extreme. But rarely does God stand on those extremes. Rarely the word of... 
Most of the time, God's word leads us to a type of self-control and balance in life. And so Christians are to represent the Lord in knowing how to use His gifts to His glory. This doesn't mean they're drunkards, but they are grateful, happy people who enjoy life. I wonder, friends, if if you're enjoying the fruit of your labor. What you have worked for. It doesn't mean that you seek yourself all the time. In fact, if we look to Jesus, He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So you're enjoying it, but then you're also giving it away. Are you enjoying it? So sleep, good food, good times, and then the ability to accept one's lot. Look at the passage closely. It talks about this rich person and then everything, he stored up everything he he had, he hoarded it, and then he lost it all. Even though he was holding on to it as tightly as he could, he lost every bit of it. But this person, this laborer who works hard and enjoys what he's been given, it says that God gave him the power to enjoy it. Verse 19, everyone also whom, to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Sometimes it's hard to be content with the cards we've been dealt, isn't it? We feel like we're not as talented as the next guy who's able to earn more money because of his job. Maybe we feel like even our kids aren't as talented. We wouldn't say it, but we might feel that way. Whatever it may be, I just wonder, do you know that it is God's gift for you just to be content wherever you are in life? And whatever job you've been given, no matter how much it feels like you're not getting paid enough for what you deserve, no matter how much it may feel like life's going by so slowly and just creeping by and you want to be in a different place, God's gift to you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is that you would just be content and joyful where he's put you. 1 Timothy 6, one we hit last week, godliness with contentment is great gain. So the gifts that God gives in our labor is that we might have sweet sleep, that we might be happy and joyful, enjoying the fruit of our labor, good food, good times, good people, and then that we might accept our lot, whatever that might be, and be content in it. The amazing thing, and what I love so much about Ecclesiastes, is that it, it deals a blow to those people who would go after just pleasure-seeking, who would just say, you know what, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to enjoy it, I'm going to live it up. He, it deals a blow to those because he tells them all of your deeds will be judged by God. But then it also deals a blow to the religious people who are stiff and think that to please God we have to always be serious, be memorizing scripture or listening to Caleb. Friends, if you don't get worn out doing that, people are going to get worn out by you. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us, enjoy your life, eat, drink, enjoy your work, all to the glory of God. Do you have that gift? That gift of contentment? With the dirty diapers and the dirty house and whatever it may be, do you have that gift of just being joyful and content in the gifts that God has surrounded you with? Friends, work is not an opportunity to escape, but it's, it's really to enjoy. So God's gifts 
in your life. And if you don't believe it from Ecclesiastes, then let's look to the gospel, work and rest, and how these things come together in our lives today and how we live our lives for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus. First, the gospel saves us from working for approval. The reason we many times have people who struggle with being a workaholic who get anxious and frustrated over their job is because they feel like they have to work either to uh, earn approval themselves, to approve of themselves, or they have to get approval from other people to show that they're, they're worthy of praise and that they're good enough. The gospel saves us from all of that. The good news of Jesus saves us from all of that. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Many of you are familiar with these verses. And if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, this is what I, I hope you hone in on this and just listen to this. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Are you weary? Are you working hard to earn approval somewhere? You see, Jesus provides the true rest for your soul. Jesus went lived a perfect life and went to a cross and died on that cross and then rose from the dead, not so that you could continue trying to work hard enough to feel good about yourself or that God would approve of you. He did all that to say, I've already done it. You don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter what you've done, how bad you've been. It's, it's done. I've done it. You don't have to earn it anymore. Stop trying to work so hard. He says... I will give you rest. Have you found rest? Do you find rest? Do you rest in Him? Even Christian, are, are you resting? It, see, this is the beautiful thing that when you trust in Jesus, when you're at work and on a frustrating day, when you feel like you've got to get a project done or your boss is going to be angry or whatever it may be, you can just stop and just rest in the fact that Jesus already approves of you and He's the only one that matters. The work's already been done. He's the one who's given you the gift of doing whatever job you do. And so all you can do is rest in His sovereign care for you. So the gospel saves us from working for approval. We no longer work for approval, but we do work. Our work is for the kingdom. Our work is for the kingdom. I want to look to Paul. Paul's a good example, right? He followed the Spirit, but look how he made his decisions. This is amazing to me. Acts chapter 18, verses 2 through 3. These are in your notes. Paul is a, a missionary who is trying to spread the gospel across the known world at this time. He's wanting to go to places where the gospel is needed. And so he arrives in this city called Corinth. He knows the gospel's needed there. But what does Paul do when he gets there? He wants to say, stay there, so he knows he's going to need a job. Acts 18, 2-3. There he found a Jew named Aquila, Aquila <laughs> a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, 
the Roman emperor at the time, had ordered all the Jews to depart from Rome. Paul approached them, and because he worked at the same trade, what what did Paul do? He was a tent maker. Because he worked at the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers. How does Paul make his decision where to go in Corinth and where to stay? He's a tent maker, so he finds some tent makers. And he stays with them, and he works. What a model for missionary work, right? I hope that some of you as followers of Jesus who are engineers or librarians, whatever it is that you do, I hope that you are strategic even with your work. That you are open to the idea that maybe God would want you to go somewhere just to work there so you can be a missionary there. We don't just need pastors to be missionaries. We need people who are just Christians and who work. In areas like the Northeast, where it's 95% unchristian, Northwest, wherever you want to pick China, wherever it is, you may have access to that place, more access than a pastor or a missionary would have. I think Crosspoint has had great examples of this. Mike and Carmen were able to go to the Middle East and work. And... They're believers. Take the gospel to the Middle East. We had another couple we prayed over a couple of years ago who were sent to China, a place where you can't even distribute Bibles or anything like that, but they're sending Christians to work there, just in the job force. I hope you're strategic with your job. Your work is for the kingdom. You're not working to earn anything. You're working to give glory to God and to spread His name. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 Paul says to the believers in Thessalonica, we urge you to aspire to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, and to work with your hands as we commanded you. In this way, you will live a decent life before outsiders, and you won't be in need. How are we to be exemplary as God's people? We're to lead quiet lives, working hard in front of others, people who don't know Christ. And when it says, says quiet, it, it, it doesn't mean that we don't say anything. It's just that we uh, don't cause a ruckus all the time. <laughs> We're easy to get along with in the workplace. We're pleasant people. Again, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul tells the believers to pray for government authorities. And he says, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Friend, if you're asking, how do I please God now? You're striving and you want to please God. Work hard to the glory of God. See your job as a place where God's glory would be displayed through your life. Where you could share Christ and love people for Christ. So, the gospel saves us from working for approval. Our work is now for the kingdom of God, not to earn anything. And then our rest displays joy and trust in God. Our rest displays joy and trust in God. Jesus slept in a boat during a life-threatening storm. Do you remember that one? Jesus is sleeping and the disciples are freaking out saying, Jesus, it's about to take us out. But Jesus isn't panicking. When everything seems to be going wrong at once, I wonder if you just sit and think, God has this in control. Nothing can happen now outside of His sovereign power. Nothing. 
Jesus slept. He wasn't worried about if God was going to take care of it, the Father. (laughs) If he had forgotten about him. He slept. He rested. But there are other types of rest. Jesus enjoys time with people and celebrations for big events. We have the calling of Matthew. He calls a tax collector. And after he calls this tax collector who is seen as completely unrighteous, a man not even worthy of gathering with them on on a Saturday for worship, and yet, right after he calls him and says, follow me, he gathers with all that guy's, guy's friends and he hangs out with them and has a meal. He celebrates. It sounds a little bit like Ecclesiastes. Good food, good drink, celebrating. Good people. And it wasn't indulgence. It was for God's glory. It was to call sinners to repentance. It was to show Jesus showing these very unrighteous people despised by everyone else, I accept you. I forgive you. You can follow me. I wonder if you would share a meal with very unrighteous people and just enjoy life with them. Show them Christ. Jesus attends a huge wedding. And he brings stuff to the wedding, by the way. When Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, people were frustrated because his disciples weren't fasting like the real religious people. And Jesus... Jesus tells them they don't fast when the bridegroom is, was with, is here. You see, when the kingdom comes, you rejoice. And so Christians should rejoice because we have been forgiven as the kingdom has come and invaded our lives too. Jesus sleeps. He enjoys time with people and celebrations. And then Jesus also receives rest and refreshment through this prayer and fellowship with God. Doesn't it seem odd that sometimes the way that we need to rest is just by maybe getting up early and praying? Just being refreshed with the presence of God? In Mark 1, it's right after Jesus' ministry has begun, and it says he arose early before the sun even came up, and he went alone to pray. The disciples run to find him. Jesus, we've got to go to this other town. People are looking for you. And he's praying. And we see many things like this in the life of Jesus, the God-man. If Jesus did it, then I think it's okay for us. It's probably a suggestion. It's probably a good thing to do. That we would sleep, that we would enjoy life with people, and that we would be refreshed, and that we would rest in the gracious God that has made us as children. You see, rest in the Bible, it isn't just about laying on the couch all afternoon, while it might include that sometimes, but many times it's just stopping from our anxious, our anxious work, our work that makes us believe that somehow we provide for ourselves and we're doing it all, instead of reflecting on God's sovereign power, His love toward us and His provision in whatever area we might be failing to trust. This is rest. And you know, the day that we wait for, the day when we'll be with God forever, when He will make the earth His home, the new heavens and the new earth, it's referred to as eternal rest. I wonder if you're practicing that now. This is the balance God has called us to. Work and rest. Don't try to get out of it. This is how you live for His glory. 
and for his name throughout the world. As we move to the, to the table this morning, this is a visual of the rest that God gives. You see, the table is a visual that God's done it all. Every time we try to earn approval in our lives from other people, from ourselves, or even from God, we look to the table. We will look to this bread and this cup, and it is a symbol that God has done it all. He has accomplished yourself.